Thank you, everybody. Um, glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to you. Uh, let's begin again with a prayer. Uh, we'll, we'll pray the glory. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen. St. Michael and all your holy archangels, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again for your attention. It, it's been great kind of in the break to talk to a few of you. Um, again, I, I hope I'm making the angels a bit more real, a little bit more tangible, um, because they are so powerful, and they are our friends, um, and they, they are our comrades in arms in the spiritual life. And that's what I'm going to be talking about more pointedly in, in this second talk, uh, specifically focusing on how they help us in spiritual combat or spiritual warfare. Now, we can hear those terms, spiritual warfare, spiritual combat, and, you know, it, it can be difficult to resonate with. Um, my wife especially doesn't like kind of that language because we have enough fighting at my house. I have six kids and five, you know, five of them are boys and I have one little girl. Um, so the fighting in my, the combat in my house is insane. Um, but taking it from our earthly squabbles and our earthly combat, um, especially in the home, um, spiritual combat um, we're all engaged in. Whether we want to be or not, we're there. Um, the enemy is active, the enemy is real. And so what we need to do is, as good soldiers of Christ, we need to study the tactics of the enemy. It's not a pleasant thing to study. It's not a pleasant thing to know. We are fighting against principalities and, and powers and the weakness of our own flesh. Right? The devil and his legions don't want us to have communion with Christ. Because they're jealous. More on that in a minute. But we do need to study the tactics of the enemy so that we can confront the enemy successfully. We can turn him away and we can turn ourselves to God. So in my first talk I talked about Genesis chapter 1. That was the good news of creation. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then Genesis 3 happened. And that's where it all goes off the rails. So in Genesis chapter 3 we read the tactic of the enemy. And this is the enemy's only tactic. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat from any of the trees of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of any of the, uh, any of the trees of the garden. Excuse me. We may eat of the fruit of any of the trees of the garden. But God said, You shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and knowing evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was delightful to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, 
and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. This is the enemy's only plan. The devil is not and cannot be created. He is only a destroyer. He has no creativity whatsoever. God is the creator. The devil is the destroyer. And so if we look at this passage more deeply, we can break break it up and we can see the tactic that he's using. And if we see the tactic, we can thwart his efforts to get us to sin as Adam and Eve did. Now, first, the enemy begins always with dialogue. To introduce an idea, a thought. The fathers call them intrusive thoughts or disruptive thoughts. But the enemy, the serpent, enters into dialogue with Eve. Now, is there ever anything that we can gain from dialoguing with the devil? No. There's nothing we can ever gain from it. Those intrusive thoughts that he puts into our head, which is part of our fallen humanity, it's part of the struggle of spiritual combat, those intrusive thoughts, there's nothing we can gain from ever following it deeper down the rabbit trail. Uh, Dr. Harry Gusalis, a great Greek Orthodox theologian, in his book Angels and Demons, says this, quote, rather than tempting us straightforward with lies, demons more often than not seek to deceive us by distorting truth and presenting partial facts. They are ex- experts in deceit and deception. Demons are also masters at manipulating our thoughts, passions, and weaknesses. Right? And we see this in the text from Genesis. Notice the question that the serpent asks. Did God say you shall not eat from any of the trees of the garden? Notice the question. It's a half-truth. It's a microwave, distorted vision of what God actually said. That's the way the enemy works. He distorts the truth and he wraps it up in such a way that we go, Oh, well that looks good. He introduces doubt. That's what the devil does. And this is the second tactic of the enemy. Doubt is a dangerous tactic of the enemy. Especially concerning doubt of God's commandments. What did God say? Hmm, I wonder. Right? That was the that's the doubt that's placed in Adam and Eve's head. Right? Now, the culture in which we live today is constantly trying to introduce doubt into everything that we believe and hold sacred, right? We try to live out the commandments, and we're mocked, we're ridiculed, and we're asked again and again, did God really say, you Christians, did God really say that Jesus is the incarnate Son of God? No, that doesn't make much sense, you know that ancient lie that made Lucifer fall? Did God really say, well, well you, you have to, you know, as a Christian, you have to be pro-life. Right? Did God really say that? Show me that in the Bible. Right? Where is that explicit? Where is that trinity in the Bible? You know, we're constantly challenged and mocked and ridiculed for those things that we believe and we hold dear. Right? By the culture. It's an ancient tactic. Right? It's ancient from the beginning. Right? 
Now these doubts, these intrusive thoughts, the fathers called them lebusmoi, which is a fancy Greek term. Alright? But once those thoughts start to percolate in our head, right, we start to follow, we start to go down that rabbit hole and further dialogue with the enemy, and we notice this is what Eve does. She further dialogues with the enemy. Because Eve says, We may not we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor touch it lest you die. She answers the enemy's question, this is more dialogue. Right? That doubt that the enemy planted has now sunk into the soil of Eve's heart. Right? When the enemy introduces that seed, that intrusive thought, what did God actually say? What is God's will for me? You know, oh, I'm really tired today. I don't want to go on that pilgrimage. You know, that that seed, that little bit of doubt. Once it takes root, it can. It's very difficult to uproot. It's very difficult to stop that process. Let's continue. Notice what the enemy says next. You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and knowing evil. This is seduction. Right? This is, ooh, doesn't that look so good to do? Right? Doesn't that, you know, and we do this as human beings constantly. We take that thing that we know that's bad for us. We go, ah, is it really that bad? I just want a little bit more. Is it really that bad? We, we, this is the dialogue we have with ourselves all the time. Right? The devil is a master seducer. But notice, read between the lines and read what he's actually saying. The devil is calling God, the creator of heaven and earth, a liar. Right? Now, of course, he trusses it up in nice-sounding language. He doesn't flat out say to Eve, God lied to you. That tree will make you like God. That tree is going to give you a leg up on God. He lied to you. The devil doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He makes the lie sound so good. Right? Again, that's the tactic of the enemy. He makes evil look good. Right? And we've all, like I said, we've all imagined. I know we've all had this experience. You're with your mom in the grocery store. And you're a little kid. And you're in that long checkout line. And it's annoying. I hate lines. Right? And you're looking at those candy bars, right? right? You're looking at them and you're thinking, man, I don't get candy at home. My mom's distracted. She's talking to the cashier. I just take that candy bar and slip it in my pocket. No one will ever know. And that's my favorite candy bar. We've all had that experience before, right? We trick ourselves right, into doing something bad because we make it sound so good. That is straight up a tactic of the enemy. It is as old as time. But of course, what happens to Eve, right, is she listens to that slick used car salesman, the devil, right? He's a slick salesman, right? And the Eve takes that intrusive thought, and now it's planted right here in her heart, right? The heart in the Eastern tradition is the center of the person. That's where God dwells, is in the heart. Right? But 
once that intrusive thought becomes a passion, it roots deeply in the heart. And now it's done. The fall has happened. And so our first parents, they fell. It was a sin of pride, right? It was a sin that displaced God from their lives. They had God walking with them in the, in the garden. God was right there. They should have turned their eyes to him. But they didn't. They dialogued with the enemy. So in our own spiritual lives, in our own spiritual combat, we're called to foster what the fathers of the church call watchfulness, vigilance. We're called to guard our hearts, to make sure that the enemy's seeds don't take root there. We're called to dismiss and conquer those intrusive thoughts that lead us to sin. Now, this is where the guardian angels come into play. Because they they don't have a body. They're blessed in that. They never get tired. They're always vigilant. They're always watchful. They're always guarding. And so we can turn to our guardian angels and ask them for protection from those thoughts that displace our lives and our souls from God. The great uh, book in, that we use often in, in the East called Unseen Warfare, uh, St. Theophon the Recluse that, that translated it. There's a particular passage that's, that's pretty good. So I quote, But you must keep attention in yourself, and at the same time you should hear the right warning and inspiring voice of your guardian angel speaking for all those standing on your right, right, so all, all the heavenly hosts stand on the right side, not, not the left side. You want to be with the sheep, not the goats, right, will assuredly say to you, you are now faced with a battle against your passions and against your other enemies. Fear not and be, and be not afraid. Let not this fear drive you to run from your post on the battlefield. For our Lord Jesus Christ, the commander, is near you. Surrounded by the commanders and centurions of his incorporeal armies and all the hosts of holy angels, ready to fight with you against your enemies and not let them to overcome and conquer you as is promised, the Lord shall fight for you. Exodus 14 14. Therefore, stand firm, compel yourself not to give ground, and strive by all possible means to stand up to the trial which has assailed you. Now, put in very simple language from St. Paul in Romans chapter 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Right? If we call on our guardian angels, we can attain a watchful heart. And a watchful heart is a peaceful heart. A heart that rests in the Lord. A heart that walks with the Lord God in the cool of the garden of our soul. We can do that and the angels can help us. Now, returning briefly to Genesis chapter 3, the end of the story, when Adam and Eve noticed they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together to make clothing. This is the lingering poison of sin, which is shame. The eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. Right? We've all experienced shame in our lives. But one thing that I want to emphasize because I think it's so prevalent in our culture today, is how toxic shame is. 
and how many lives have been ruined because the shame in their own lives has never been dealt with. First of all, let's define what shame is. Shame is, a, is the recognition that we've trespassed against the inherent dignity of another person. Everybody sitting here, every human being that walks this earth, is of infinite value and dignity because you're made in the image and likeness of God. There is no price that anyone can put on any of your heads. You are infinitely valuable and dignified. Now add on top of that your baptism, and you are infinitely valuable, not only in earthly eyes, but in heavenly eyes. But when we commit a trespass against someone else, we feel we should feel that deep shame. Because we've wounded another human being who has infinite value and dignity. Now, Adam and Eve recognized that they were naked and they felt shame. Now, in Genesis, nakedness means openness and honesty. So not, let's not dwell on nakedness too much. But it means that they had nothing to hide. Right? They had nothing to hide from one another. They have a perfect relationship between each other and with God. But they lost that. The original sin is the conception of anti-life. Right? Because now there's something in between the relationship of Adam and Eve. There's something that they need to hide. They can't be open and honest with each other anymore. That's what the fig leaves mean. Right? Now, like I said, shame is toxic. It's reached toxic proportions in our culture. So many people are suffering a lifetime of shame and they've never realized it and they've never dealt with it. Right? Now, shame is our soul's natural defense to come to repentance. When we offend one another, that shame that we feel ought to drive us to repentance, to repair our relationship with our brother or sister, and to repair our relationship with God. Now, so many in our culture today don't know how to heal their shame. Right? Because they haven't heard the gospel. Maybe we haven't preached it to them. Maybe we haven't been loud enough. Or maybe when we preach it, they recognize, eh, these people don't really believe it. Because preaching the gospel is one thing. But preaching the gospel and hearing it from someone who knows Jesus, that's something different. You know, I, I live in the South, so I know many committed, very committed Protestant brothers and sisters who know the gospel really well. And I know they know Jesus. Because you come into their presence and they just exude Christ. Right? The gospel is our book. We put it together. The Bible is the church's book. Born from holy tradition. We need to know the gospel more. And we need to know Christ through the gospel. And exhibit Christ to anyone who will listen. And to all those that we meet. We need to do that as Christians. Because when we do that, when we bring people to know Jesus, we can also bring them to the fact that with Jesus, with his grace, souls that are destined for the, the pit can be dragged up and brought to life again. 
right? Souls that are in blackness, souls that are in tremendously deep suffering. And many people in our world today have suffered wounds that you and I can't fathom. But Christ can heal all of those wounds, right? And we ask him to heal those wounds. We've had two occasions to have holy anointing. What a blessing that's been. Now, how do our guardian angels kind of work into this equation? Ask your guardian angel to remain close to you. And when we fall, and we all do, I'll be, I, I, I fall at least seven times a day, if not 77 times seven. Right? Ask your guardian angels, because you have that relationship with your guardian angels, to be a hound. To hound you to repentance and to making a good confession. Such a beautiful, beautiful thing. We have those healing sacraments of confession and holy anointing that can heal deep wounds. Right? So we've seen in Genesis what the tactic of the enemy is. And how we fall into sin. How intrusive thoughts are a gateway to sin. But we can master. Right? If we cultivate our relationships with our guardian angels. They can help us. They can help us and bring us to Christ and his healing grace. Let's briefly talk about another tactic of the enemy. A little rarer. But a tactic that certainly happens. Especially for those who are advancing in the spiritual life. One tactic that the enemy does use, maybe we've overcome the sins of the flesh, we're growing spiritually, we're doing fairly well. The enemy loves to entice us into pride, sinful pride. The demons love the prayer of the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. Oh God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, and even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all my income. That is the prayer of a demon coming through the lips of that Pharisee. And it's a pit that we can fall into. It really is. Because as we advance in the spiritual life, there is a certain healthy kind of, I'm doing well. I'm growing in my, my walk with God. But when we turn that outward and start judging other people, which is a temptation, right? that pride that the enemy can tempt us to is very, very deadly. Right? And something to be absolutely avoided. Now, the fathers and mothers of the church who, who uh, did spiritual combat in monastic life would often talk about the fact that the demons can take on forms of angels of light, or as martyrs, right? So we read in the Ladder of Divine Ascent from St. John Climacus, demons often transform themselves into angels of light and they take form of martyrs and make it appear to us during sleep that we are in communion with them. Then we wake up and they plunge us into unholy joy and conceit. But you can detect this deceit by this very fact. As soon as, we, as soon as we begin to believe the demons in dreams, then they make sport, sport of us when we're awake. Right? They, they tempt us to that pride. That was that first temptation that Lucifer fell into. Right? And in the spiritual life, we should never seek out signs and wonders. Right? That's exterior. Right? We're fighting a spiritual battle in the heart. 
Okay, when we seek after signs and wonders, that can be a, a great temptation. What do the angels do to help us to overcome this kind of tempting pride? They teach us how to be humble. The angels are humble because they're obedient to God's will. Again, St. John Thermocles says, An angel fell from heaven without any other passion except pride. And so we may ask if whether it is possible to ascend to heaven by humility alone, without any other virtue. Now I think St. John leaves this kind of open-ended. I think he is kind of saying, humility is pretty important. Humility can take you to the heights of heaven. Elsewhere, St. John says, By this shall all men know that we are God's disciples. Not because the, devil, the devils are subject to us, but because our names are written in the heaven of humility. As we grow in the spiritual life, we have to expect temptations. We have to expect that sometimes we're going to want to revel in our progress in an unhealthy way. But these are occasions where we can call on our guardian angels to help us to remain humble. The angels are always humble before the awesomeness of God. So let's turn to them and ask them for help in remaining humble. Now, we've taken a long and winding road along the, the tour of the angels and the spiritual life and how they help us in spiritual combat. We've looked at the enemy's plan in Genesis, struggle with intrusive thoughts, spiritual doubt and shame. <clears throat> At the same time, hopefully you found a couple of points of light to help us to overcome the enemy's plans. I want to spend a few minutes talking about the flip side of spiritual combat, which is spiritual victory. Right? This is important. We have to remember, the victory of Christ over sin and death and evil has already been won. Right? Our angels can help us to come to the victory of Christ. We still are fighting the fight, but we know at the end of the day, Christ has already won. First, one thing I'd like to clear up about evil. Because again, I think evil is very prevalent in our culture. But we have to remember, especially as we fight and we think on the victory of Christ, we have to remember that evil has no existence of its own. Evil is the privation of good. That's all it is. Evil exists in our world because... Creatures of intellect and free will choose for it to come into existence in our world. Evil didn't exist before Adam and Eve. Evil has no power. It doesn't exist on its own. We choose to bring it into existence. In kind of this perverse act of creation that is sin. And so we can be confident because evil has no power. It has no existence on its own. We can be confident that we're, that our struggle, right, is not against an unmovable rock, right? I know sometimes in our culture things can look black and bleak and evil is very prevalent. But again, Christ is the ultimate power. And through his cross, he's already won the victory. So we don't need to be afraid of evil. Right? And I think this is precisely why the church is so important. The church brings the presence of Christ into the midst of evil and always wins. Every time we gather in a pilgrimage, we have a prayer vigil, we stand up against evil somewhere, the tide of darkness is turned back and it flees. 
And again, this is why we as church, especially when we gather together at the Divine Liturgy, there's power there. There's power in prayer. There's power when Christians get together and pray in unity with the holy angels. St. Porphyrios in his book, Wounded by Love, says, You won't become saints by hounding after evil. Ignore evil. Look towards Christ and he will save you. If evil comes to assault you, turn with all your inner strength to what is good, to Christ. This is what the angels help with. They help us to turn from evil and turn towards Christ. And pray, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He knows how and in what way to have mercy on you. In this way you can become good on your own with the grace of God. Where can evil then find a foothold? It disappears. This is great advice. And sounds a lot like the famous quote from Venerable Fulton Sheen. Evil may have its hour, but God will have his day. One final thing. Prayer. We read in Isaiah, and then again in Revelation, the angels never cease praying, crying out to God, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. We are called to imitate the ceaseless prayer of the angels. This is the beautiful part of our Eastern tradition, the Jesus prayer. Again, St. John of the Ladder says, Flog your enemies with the name of Jesus, since there is no stronger weapon in heaven or on earth. St. Sophronia of Essex, an Orthodox saint, says, The power of cosmic evil is colossal, as such no son of Adam can overcome without Christ and outside Christ. He is Jesus the Savior in the literal and soul sense of the word. This is the Orthodox ascetic's belief that he, therefore, who pursues the prayer of inner stillness by the unceasing invocation of the name of Jesus Christ. Again, with Christ, all evil is overcome and salvation is at hand. If we cling to the name of Jesus, that we put Jesus on our lips, in our minds, and most importantly, into our hearts. We do that. No evil power can overcome us. Again, thank you for bearing with me in my meandering. Hopefully, I've given you a little appreciation of the help of the holy angels and their efforts to help us win the final victory. We do fight. We are in a battle. The battleground is the, the heart. Again, Christ has already won the victory. Remember that. Invite more of his divine life into your souls. And ask your angels to help you in that process of theosis, of divinization. The angels see the glory of God face to face. To face. Ask them to help communicate just a shred, just a pinch of that glory in your soul. And with that, no amount of evil can ever shake us. Amen. Glory to Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.